I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A rational fear contains strong, coarse language and traces of nuts. FBI Radio recommends listening by an immature audience. Tonight, refugee activist groups call for the reopening of Nauru Detention Centre to accommodate asylum seekers fleeing Australia if Tony Abbott becomes Prime Minister. And in the wake of the tragic Batman shootings in Colorado, the National Rifle Association renews calls to ban Batman. And Dr. Carl joins us to talk all things Higgs boson. It could be Car Crash Radio. I hope you don't microsleep. That's tonight on the Rational Fair. Rational Fear. However, and welcome to the season finale of the Rational Fear. And just like any good season finale, there should be uh, you should pretty probably leave feeling confused and unsatisfied and wanting more. And panelling up tonight for tonight's Irrational Fear is the all-star writing team from the hit community radio satirical comedy program, Irrational Fear! <laughs> they're, fancy, they're fancy work, guys. They love your work already. Please welcome Mark Humphreys. Mark, what will you be hitting out of the park tonight? Australia's network-imposed love affair with miniseries. Oh, Rome. Very good, very good. And every four years, the Olympic rolls round. And, uh, and, uh, 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 but what other games are we really concerned about, Seton? Uh, it's about athleticism. It's about passion. It's about winning that gold and saying, yes, my country's better than your country. <laughs> it's very good. It's about sex. <laughs> Alice Fraser, just how young can you be before you're declared too young to be sexy? If you can ask what sex is through a full set of milk teeth, you're old enough to know what it means and be issued with your first set of nipple pasties and thigh-high strippers. That is very too young. That's for too young. While gay marriage is politically sticky, but is it safe for brands to jump on this gay bandwagon? I think all brands should jump on this bandwagon. I want my food coming out of the pantry. Thank you, James Colley. And the discovery of the ridiculously named Higgs boson particle uh, puts his own name to shame, Jazz Twemlo. Yeah, I think if they ever find um, a homophobic genocidal particle, they're really going to regret having used up the name the God Particle. <laughs> right, very good. And Dylan Bain, what the hell are you doing here? Well, look, it's just uh, it's after Dark and King's Cross. I'm just happy to be alive and here tonight. <laughs> but first, it's time for Hash Nuggets. Now, this is where we wade through the cesspool of social media online and shine a light on some A-grade trolling. On Saturday night, on Saturday rather, the Prime Minister participated in a Google Hangout, which is kind of like having group Skype sex. I'm sure the Prime Minister got the idea whilst visiting Duntroon. Um, Throughout the Google Hangout, the public were invited to tweet in questions to the Prime Minister. This was an opportunity for everyday Australians to have a say on the way their country is governed. This was democracy at its finest. Here tonight is what everybody, what everyday people tweeted at our Prime Minister, if you follow the hashtag PM Hangout. Sir, Sir William the Nice said, 
What is the government doing about my late bus? <laughs> Chris Summers chimed in. Stovepipe jeans, cuffed above the ankle. What's the deal? <laughs> Josh Milton from Melbourne said, Let's spam the PM hangout with questions about Alf pounding her greasy red box. <laughs> yes, but it wasn't just people on Twitter grabbing the chance to hold, uh, grabbing the chance to engage the Prime Minister on relevant conversation. Why? The people of YouTube also had a go. They were having their say too. Uh, Sufway says... Why do feminists get to parade about talking shit about inequality? And Kitten Shopping says... Boobies. Carnage Porn says... Pets. Going against popular opinion, Ash Garafi chimed in with... Pets. <laughs> yes, gay marriage and foreign policy was also on the top of Black Mask 69's agenda with... Can we send faggots on the boat to Afghanistan? Yes, Black Mark 69. Good question. But it's not a question for the PM. It's more of a question for an atlas. Uh, because the answer is no, it's landlocked. Um, in fact, on one page, in the entire YouTube comments on one page are just phenomenal. There was only one remotely askable question. And that question came from ICUP6229, which was... When did you lose your virginity? Yes. <laughs> well, at least it rated uh, over 21,000 people streamed The Hangout, which is probably about 20,000 more than watched Channel 10 Breakfast. Uh, the Hangout was an experiment in digital democracy and digital discourse, but it ended up being more like a bureaucratic chat roulette, which made it very difficult to masturbate to. <laughs> Irrational fear, because rape jokes were so last week. <laughs> Now, since the tragic death of Thomas Kelly two weeks ago, Sydney's King's Cross has been the centre of debate for alcohol restrictions. Like the last five months, tonight's Irrational Fear is broadcast live from the FBI Social, which is right in the heart of King's Cross, not just across the road from uh, young Thomas where he, where, he, where he died. So we thought, who better to ask questions to the problems, to help solve these problems in King's Cross than the people of King's Cross themselves. Um, however, since I had a pretty busy weekend, James and I had a pretty busy weekend, so the only time we could really go out with a microphone was at 2am on a Sunday morning. Um, so this is how the people of King's Cross would help fix King's Cross. So how do we fix King's Cross? Cross is full of dickheads. You go out, you get drunk, you become a dickhead. You can't change it. It's the Australian culture. Drink more! The policeman. Normally I would give you a mad opinion, but like tonight, nah. I'll tell you the problem. The problem is, everyone's on just drugs. I'm not gonna lie, everyone's on drugs. The cross is alright. It's love! Yeah. It's fine! Love. It's fine! Love! 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 Peace and ecstasy, alright? Just honestly kick every violent person out of King's Cross. Sam Dark because he's a wombat. <laughs> you got a funny looking face. Look at his face. It's just like something you want to hear. <laughs> this is how people get kicked here. Yeah. Is there a problem with alcohol in King's Cross? Nah, man. Alcohol problem? I don't believe in it because guess why? I'm alcoholic myself. What do you think of problem? Where's the problem? In the King's Cross. They think, they think there's not enough girls, which I think is true. Irrational fear. Mark Humphreys! Hello, everybody. Now, Australia loves a good miniseries. Or maybe the networks just love making them. Who knows? Chicken or egg? I, I can't tell. But if you want to go a hardship that makes national news, you'd better believe there's a miniseries in it. Lindy Chamberlain, Stuart Diver, the victims of the Granville train disaster, Beaconsfield miners. Great struggles, yes. But more importantly, great ratings. And now we're in for a treat, as Channel 9 brings us the next ratings bonanza, How's That? Kerry Packer's War. This is, of course, a sequel to last year's miniseries, Paper Giants. And good on Channel 9 for investing in local drama, after they realised that people enjoyed Paper Giants and watched it in droves on the ABC. <laughs> Channel 9 have, of course, done this sort of thing countless times before, so good on them for such willingness to take risks. So they've kept the writer and the director of Paper Giants, but they've recast the role of Kerry Packer. Rob Carlton, who won a Logie for his portrayal, uh, was not invited to reprise the role. Nine, of course, couldn't bear the stench of a Logie winner. They'd rather just continue <laughs> broadcasting the ceremony until the end of time. So instead we get Lockie Hume, who starred in Nine's other drama event of the year, Beaconsfield. Any drama on Nine, by the way, is an event, because they make so little of it. <laughs> They've been calling it the drama event of the year in their latest promo. 
They even did a two-minute piece on it on Nine News. The news. Now, I didn't think it was possible to fillet a corpse. But Nine's promo department have done it with the way that they've described Kerry's life. The promo tells us that How's That is the story of a man who, quote, didn't give up, didn't give in, and never said die, end quote. Some men, of course, give up, but not in. Others give in, but not up. Kerry didn't do either. When he had the chance to say die, he never did. They go on to describe his negotiation for cricketing broadcast rights and achieving higher pay for players as a crusade. And they call him, quote, the man who took on the establishment and changed the very fabric of Australia. Don't you love a good underdog story? The, the billionaire media mogul against cricket administrators? It's a real David and Goliath battle. But this is Kerry Packer's war on the cricket establishment. No, not to be confused with his war on nutrition or his war on marital fidelity. The man was a fighter, no doubt about it. And just as Nine took on the establishment at the ABC by taking away their program, programming, so too did Kerry take on the establishment at the ACB, the Australian Cricket Board. Kerry fought for Nine to have the broadcasting rights to international cricket and so led the way for the commercialisation of sport in Australia. Now is our chance to celebrate, celebrate the man who made it possible for cigarette advertising at cricket grounds to be televised around the country. And of course, who screened cricket in Australia before Channel 9? Why, it was the ABC. <laughs> but who's the modern, modern day equivalent to Packer? Whose heroism knows no bounds? Who's fighting for our sports people to be higher paid? Well, in that case, it's got to be former swimmer and perpetual runner-up Daniel Kowalski is now fighting for more funds for Australia's Olympic swimmers. So I'm already looking for, forward to his mini-series, Always a Bridesmaid, the Daniel Kowalski story. <laughs> so we're going to tell Kerry's story the only way we know how, with a mini-series. We've mini-seried the shit out of our history. People are now committing crimes just so Nine can make new versions of Underbelly. <laughs> Soon we're going to have to start making uh, miniseries about the less significant movie, uh, moments of our past. Like about that turbulent time in our nation's history when baby John Burgess shaved off his moustache and became Burjo. <laughs> or when on Australian Idol, Dicko told Paulini she should choose more appropriate clothes or shed some pounds. Sarah Marie's bum dance. That time Wendy Harmer hosted the Logies. Think of the possibilities. But how's that is the story that must be told. And it will be told the way that Packer would have wanted it. On the Nine Network and regularly interrupted by paid advertising. That Virgo joke was terrific. No one was laughing harder than the chaser's Chris Taylor sitting in the front row. He was just happy. He was just hoping for a Molly Meldrum reference, but that never happened. Got uh, it in, Chris. Molly Meldrum. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, now, if Nine are doing a series based around Kerry Packer, uh, what will it take for Ten to do a series about Gina Reinhardt? Seaton? Obviously, quality is the most important thing for Channel 10, so they're probably just waiting for the right script. Yeah, right. Very good. It's a, a nod to the Shire's unscripted drama there. Uh, Mark... Well, she'd have to die, obviously. I mean, that's really... <laughs> so, any time soon is, is what you're saying. Dil... Uh, well, I think uh, it will be a cooking show on uh, made by Gina Reinhardt all about uh, Hungry Jacks. Uh, <laughs> oh, very good. Excellent. Cook Hungry Jacks. James, I think if they need a series about Gina Reinhardt, just trap her in one of her mines. <laughs> yes, great. <laughs> Australian's uh, TV commercial networks are, are terrific coming up with original ideas. Look at Nine. They've got Big Brother this year. Okay, now according to Inside Big Brother, the house is going to be pretty much the same as the Big Brother house from 2001 to 2006. Now, that's pretty original. What other ways, Alice, uh, can commercial networks show off their originality? What do you think? I think you should do a show that's like, like The Shire, but they're all dead. Um, <laughs> and not just on the inside, like right. on the side, on the <laughs> Sitting. A trashy soap opera about uh, a couple's country house, home away from neighbours. <laughs> James, do you have anything on this? I'd like to see a version of MasterChef where the loser is the meal next week. <laughs> <laughs> Jazz, are you, are you itching for something? Uh, Channel 10 brunch. 
<laughs> well done. Irrational fear, now more profitable than Microsoft. <laughs> Control, damaging their health, their weapon of choice, alcohol. It's almost that time of the year again. A time when you can walk down the street and hear things like, yes, we came fourth in the medal tally, but per capita. And I don't usually eat junk food, but I really want to win a telly. And my favourite, I'm not a racist, but I much prefer the race walking to the 400 metre sprint. At least in the race walking, us white guys have a chance. Now sit back and learn something from my presentation on the Olympic Games based purely in fact. The Olympics originated when Heracles, son of Zeus, came down to the mortals after a long hard day of labour and was like, hey guys, let's organise a sporting event. And they were all like, we don't speak English, we're Greek. And he was like, signomi, which is, pardon me, off Greek. The first official record of the Games was in 776 BC. BC, that's an acronym for before Christmas. And, and in those pre-holiday cheer days, there was little else to do other than throw sticks as far as you could, lift heavy things for no apparent reason, risking hernia, and, of course, the lonely man's frisbee, or as Olympians know it, discus. <laughs> the games flourished, and laurel wreaths were awarded to the winners, and the infamous line, Memento Mori, was uttered to the victorious. Memento Mori, Latin for, remember, you are but a man. Or for the health conscious, remember, you are, I can't believe you're not, but a man. In 435 AD, the Olympics were suppressed by Theodosius II as an attempt to vanquish the pagan belief system and impose Christianity as the state religion. But I think he secretly was just upset because he was Theodosius II, and being second, he didn't get a wreath. The games weren't seen again until 1896, and in 2005, London won the bid to host the 2012 Olympic Games. As an element of their successful bid, London vowed to improve their overground train services and as part of that promise, created a new train system called the Javelin. This majestic train named after the long-range weapon was an integral part of the bid. And I know when it comes to taking transport, nothing says hop aboard like, hi, I'm named after something which is designed to kill things. <laughs> The Games will make use of 70,000 volunteers who will work together to put in over 8 million volunteer hours. Free labour like this hasn't been seen since before the American Civil War. <laughs> except in most artistic communities. <laughs> These volunteers will lessen the Games' financial burden, but not by much. According to timesonline.co.uk, part of the £9.35 billion needed to fund the London Olympics will come from budget cuts to grassroots sporting organisations, which shows you clearly how forward-thinking this committee is, because as we all know, tomorrow's athletes come from the immigration office. <laughs> London has predicted that they will sell 63% of their available 8 million tickets, and for the first time in Olympic history, the sailing events will be ticketed. It is anticipated that in this event, London will see the highest amount of sales. <laughs> Since the revival of the modern Olympics 116 years ago, there have been 29 Summer Olympic Games, making this year's Games the 30th, or in Roman numerals, the Triple X Olympiad. And being the Triple X Olympics, there will be some changes to the sporting events on show next week. The gymnastics will see the most changes, namely the horizontal bar will slowly and incrementally rise throughout the course of the rings display to become a vertical bar. The vault, pommel horse and uneven bars will all make use of that tramp Eileen, and the rhythmic gymnasts on the floor will ditch I for you, put down their ribbon, and start rubbing. Water polo will make use of a new waterproof camera which will capture all of the underwater action, including sightings of sperm whales, gropers, and the occasional free willy. In the soccer, France will welcome back from retirement the infamous Zinedine Zidane, who will orchestrate a very different but just as controversial head job. Boxing will take on a more descriptive and literal name and will be for the duration of the games known simply as fisting. In the equestrian discipline, we will see the standards eventing, jumping, dressage, and the new addition, undressage. After a slight reordering of the steps, the weightlifting method will become a pre-date ritual for many of the female athletes, the clean snatch and jerk. And on the high boards, we will see the first instance of synchronized muff diving. 
And of course, the Greco-Roman wrestling will actually be made less sexual. So come July 27th, if you're in London and you hear coming across the water, stroke, stroke, stroke. Don't look out and expect to see rowing. I mean, what do you expect from the Olympic Games whose logo looks like Lisa Simpson giving a blowjob? See the case, Now, guys, there's been a lot of talk about how Londoners are whinging about the games, but weren't we just a, 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 as much of a whinger as London when before our game started? Well, before our game started, I remember in 1999 that just when Hey Hey It's Saturday was cancelled for the first time, <laughs> Daryl Summers never shut the f*** up about it. So, yeah, we were whingers, yeah. Come on, Dan, you've got to leave the British something. We took cricket from them. At least let them be the best at whinging. Yeah, good, no, good. Uh, now, what happened actually this week was, um, was Grinder. Uh, crashed, uh, I think today, as the uh, as the, all the athletes rocked up to the athletes' village. The grinder went down. Is this something we should be expecting into 2012? James? I think it's time that we pass the torch on to someone. It's just good to see that those skin-tight suits are working. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Dylan? Oh, well, look, if there's a British version of Grinder, it would have to be called Winger. <laughs> right, uh, right. And if there's any app that hasn't been working in England for a long time, it's the Find a Dentist app. <laughs> See, the thing about Grindr is it's not the app that's supposed to go down on you. Hey, there it is. Irrational fear for those stains that just won't come out. <laughs> and uh, now it's time for our new segment, another part of our new segment, the, the people of King's Cross and what they have to say. Our next question is, what do you think of global warming? Well, let me ask you a question. How do we fix global warming? Turn off your heaters. Make the ice caps melt. Because if frozen ice melts, it cools down the rest of the earth. What do you reckon? No. Well, no. maybe just get Gillard out of government, maybe? What's global warming? What's global warming? Tell me about it. Honestly, fuck it. Disease. I don't believe in it. Well, actually, I'll do it because fucking Julia Gillard is a oh, fucking bitch. Is the carbon tax got to do with that? Is that about saving carbon or something? Uh, I don't believe in global warming. Why not? Uh, you can't prove it right now. Am I, are we warming up? No, because we're not. I'm pretty fucking cold. There's no global warming tonight. No. If it was global warming, it would be fucking warm. I'll take my shirt off right now. Take it off. I'll take it off. Come on. Oh, I think we fist go warming by stopping the whaling. The whaling is a problem. Global warming. I don't give a fuck about global warming. We're getting pizzas. You want a pizza? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Alice Fraser. Ah, Knox in Galesburg in the US did a study on six-year-old girls asking them to identify which of a series of dolls most closely represented what they wanted to be. 68% of the girls chose the sexy doll and 72% thought they said they thought the sexy doll was the most popular. At six years old, these girls are already convinced that in order to be popular, you need to be a sexy paper doll. Ah, oh, sweetheart, show me on the doll where society objectified you. It's part of a trend that's been bothering social commentators since the 1990s. Raunch culture, female chauvinists, women complicit in their own sexual degradation. I feel like the silent victim of women dressing provocatively is the population of actual hookers. With young women dressing the way they do out there on a Saturday night, how do you, as a legitimate sex worker, distinguish yourself? It used to be the, that you could identify a hooker because she dressed like a hooker. Now the only way a hard-working whore can one-up slutty Simone from the Shire is by actually showing her actual vagina on the street. And it's winter! Come on, girls, have some consideration for your sisters in the sex industry. These 6 and 16 year old girls need to be educated about the reality of what's going on when you empower yourself by building an identity around being fuckable. First off, your expiry date becomes much closer. There's no challenge in looking sexy as an 18 year old, that's what 18 year olds are for. You'll be a sexual magnet if you're dressed in a paper bag. Show me one that's still maintaining an identity as a sexual being at 55 years old and I'll congratulate you on your life choices. Sexy girls need to understand basic economics. The fact that ladies get into clubs for free, for example, is not a sign of your worth as a human being. Of course it's free to get into a club, slutty lady. You aren't the customer, you're the merchandise. You will leave here tonight and you'll see young women stumbling towards you with glazed eyes, wearing those platform heels that look good when you're standing still, but when you walk, make you look like the Imperial Walkers out of Star Wars. 
All you need is one hover bike and they're coming down. They're terrifying impacts and there's always one who's fallen off the back and is lying in the gutter going, leave me, leave me, I'm already dead. I don't want to entirely devalue what these women have the power to do. For example, I think it's super cute how guys believe they're making the first move on these women. Like, you guys are this amazing, cool predator swooping in on the unsuspecting damsel and dazzling her into your manly embrace. I just think it's really cute. Uh, you know, she woke up three days ago and had her ass waxed, put on layers of fake tan, exfoliated all her skin off, stood still for 35 minutes until it dried, and then spent three hours cleaning fake tan off all the clothes and sheets that she'd accidentally rubbed up against. She put on fake eyelashes, fake boobs, a hairpiece, Spanx shapewear, shapewear, two foot heels, and a dress so short it looks like you just forgot to wear pants under your singlet. It is ridiculous to believe that you're the aggressor in those circumstances. <laughs> That said, for that girl, picking up a guy in those circumstances is like winning Call of Duty with immortality mode on. You actually have no idea what your skill level is because there's so many levels of artifice going on that your real personality can't get any oxygen and you become a hair-twirling idiot that shames the name of every female scientist that ever made an improvement to the quality of life for humanity. <laughs> that the cosmetic industry moves $170 billion a year. Imagine if that money was spent on literally anything else. <laughs> we, we need to start teaching women that they're worth more than the sum total of guys that want to do them and girls that want to be them. Otherwise, we're going to have a massive problem when this generation turns 35 and suddenly realise that without fake tan and a pair of vicious platform heels, they haven't actually had time to develop a personality at all. <laughs> Now, with more on this subject, we're very lucky to be joined by two prominent editors of a tween girl magazine. Please welcome our editors. Hello. hello. Now, a 13-year-old girl has won this year's Dolly Model Search. Is she too young? Hello, I'm Susan Furness, managing editor of high-class child glamour magazine, Ripe. And... <laughs> And I'll be discussing this with Jeanette Hausen, managing editor at the glossy teen mag, Pluck. <laughs> Jeanette, welcome. Thanks, Susan. To all the girls who didn't win this year's Dolly competition, just remember that if you're not attractive yet, you may still have a year or two for nature to sort that out for you, so <laughs> keep your fingers crossed. Inspiring words. Jeanette, what sort of message do you think Dolly is sending to young Aussie girls? Well, I think Dolly is so preoccupied with empowering teenage girls that they're not even considering those who are so much more in need. Pre-teen girls. <laughs> For instance, girls who aren't allowed to join Facebook until they turn 13. So, who's speaking out for these girls? The voiceless 10-year-olds. In some countries, 10-year-olds are lucky enough to get married. Here, we treat them like children and hide them in clothes. Very true. <laughs> For instance, uh, ten-year-olds can't even model G-strings. I mean, what next? Will they have to start wearing veils? Uh, it's so backward and repressive. We owe it to our readers to show them what they want. And speaking of the readers, a lot of these guys are dying off. Uh, we really need to... We really need to start uh, looking at ways to attract readers that are slightly younger yet still require round-the-clock care. It's hard to believe that so many people criticise our industry. In some countries, young girls get only 10 cents an hour to make underwear, whereas here, our girls get $500 an hour to model it. And if I could, I'd take every girl in those factories, put them in underwear, and photograph them. <laughs> but there's only so much we can do. Oh, wow. I just, I just had a deja vu to Martin Luther King. Um, just, he taught us not to judge the colour of one's skin but just to embrace skin, and, and as much of it as possible. That's it. Uh, the truth is, you've got to start them young before they start developing a genuine personality. It took years for Kim Kardashian to realise that a vapid existence has commercial worth. So what we're telling these inspirational 13-year-old models is, yes, you can be dead inside from a much earlier age. And that's an incredible message. Absolutely. Miranda Kerr was only 13 when she won the Dolly Model Contest, and look at her now. Posing in lingerie, sometimes even posing without that restriction. If women's rights campaigners hadn't fought so hard, Miranda would now be posing naked for much less money. Or in clothes. 
These competitions should be about grooming our girls for life on the international stage, marrying a billionaire, attending store openings and becoming a mother. The next generation of Scientologists isn't going to spawn itself. Speaking of which, Suri Cruz is getting on a bit, so she'd better start modelling before she gets all saggy and wrinkly like those unsightly 17-year-old models. Interesting that you should mention overage models. Uh, as the... Uh... <laughs> As the other hot topic in the modelling world this week has been Zoo Magazine announcing their search for Australia's sexiest asylum seeker. Uh, would you ever launch a campaign of this sort? Oh, heavens no. That would be exploitative. Agreed. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Do you guys find it strange that Ralph Magazine and FHM Magazine are going by the wayside, but Zoo are staying afloat with stuff like Sexiest Asylum Seeker? Sexiest Asylum Seeker? Uh, no, I think that was always inherent in the name, in the title. I think they always had the possibility of just going completely left field into animal <laughs> I've heard they're, uh, they're one-upping themselves, trying to make up for their sins, and they're launching the search for the hottest Holocaust widow next time. <laughs> big centerfold, big centerfold. <laughs> That's great. Did, are we surprised at this with, with Dolly Magazine? This seems like a topic that just keeps coming back uh, all the time, like boat people. Uh, James? I feel like if... Sorry, uh, let me rephrase. Uh, this seems like a topic that keeps coming in droves in boats from Indonesia. <laughs> James. Oh, thank you. Uh, I think if uh, these magazines had their way, life would begin at conception and end at birth. <laughs> That's a pretty damning indictment of, of those magazines. Uh, do you think this is a, a part of a problematic culture that's kind of imported itself from the UK lads mag? Like, oh, you're from, you're from that part of the world. And therefore completely responsible for it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I, think, I think it's a shame that uh, Zoo Magazine's the thing that's brought the most attention to uh, to asylum seekers, it's, you know, sort of, if it's they haven't really their standards are so low, but at least it's a standard they apply equal actually to everybody. <laughs> a rational fear fixing the asylum seeker problem one bikini top at a time. <laughs> Hi guys, tonight I want to talk about homophobia and the common household cookie. Two topics usually as far apart as apples and oppression. But this week they've come together. If you missed it, there was a story where the American cookie company Oreo posted on their Facebook page an Oreo cookie with seven layers of stuffing, each a different colour, forming a rainbow flag. Now, this caused a lot of controversy in the United States because it's the United States and controversy is pretty much all they do. <laughs> It would be understandable if the controversy was over the fact that an Oreo with seven layers of uh, stuffing is still about three years away from being released, but it wasn't. The controversy was that Oreos, I'll remind you, a company that primarily makes biscuits and biscuits with double stuffing, didn't hate gay people enough. I don't know what it is about Oreos that will make someone believe they were socially conservative. In fact, the only indicator I can find that a cookie would be in any way socially conservative is the fact that I've never heard a cookie convey a rational, well-thought-out political opinion, which puts it in about the league of Rick Santorum. Conservatives, or to use their technical name, homophobes, commented that a cookie shouldn't have political opinions. Well, there's your problem. If your views on social issues are so backwards that you can find more progressive items in your confectionery aisle, perhaps it's time to update your pantry. If you ever have to think to yourself, wow, I'm not sure if I'm ready for the kind of radical social transformation that biscuit is promising, maybe, just maybe, you should take the time to jam your mouth so full of them that no one can hear your voice. Conservative group A Million Mums claimed they were highly offended by the Oreo photo and called for a boycott of their products. This is a group that has before claimed that the marriage of gay people is harmful to children. Of course, if a child having two mums damages them, I can only imagine a group called A Million Mums is literally 500,000 times worse. So... This group called for a boycott of all products of Kraft, the company that owns Oreo. And this is a very difficult thing, thing to explain to your family and does deserve some credit. It must be truly difficult in this day and age to openly and with a straight face declare, I will have no cheese? 
nor other dairy-based product in my house unless it has the same political opinions that I do. I don't know if cows are gay. I don't know if milking is a gay thing to do. All I know is that by the time that cheese hits my sandwich, it should know that God made Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve, lest instead of melding favourably with the ham already on its sandwich, it, de it decides to undermine the very construct of lunchtime and instead live with a chunk of feta. There is a misinterpretation in scripture that occurs by all religions that forbid marriage of gay people. Like, for example, the Bible. When the Bible bans something, it bans something from the people who follow the Bible from doing it. It doesn't generally ban everyone from doing that. There is a very simple way of remembering this fact. You just have to ask yourself these questions. When was the last time a Jew slapped the bacon out of my hands? When was the last time a Hindu blockaded the McDonald's drive-thru? When was the last time an atheist did something? If you believe your God forbids you from having a relationship with someone the same gender as you, then don't have one. Or do, fuck their brains out, then ask for forgiveness. It's kind of a cheat code. Just this week, Google came out, Google the web giant, came out in support of equal right laws for homosexual people in all countries, which shows that anti-gay advocates are so far in the past, they are using Alta Vista. Or if not Alta Vista, at the very least, don't ask, don't tell Jeeves. In fact... Just the act of protesting against gay rights in this campaign meant logging onto Facebook, a website openly in support of gay rights, through a web browser that was, let's face it, Internet Explorer, a product of Microsoft, another supporter of gay rights, and they were probably on a computer, an invention by gay mathematician Alan Turing. Now, I should qualify that statement. He was a mathematician that was gay. There isn't a special kind of gay mathematics. <laughs> Although, if there was, it would just be like normal mathematics, except you can't multiply. And more likely than not, this whole incident occurred in the universe, an area they believe was created by God, the inventor of the rainbow. <laughs> it must be genuinely very difficult to be a proper homophobe in these days, simply on the companies you have to boycott. You have to head towards the pure pro-homophobic companies like Australia's Gloria Jeans whose range features coffee perfectly suiting your political opinions as they are primarily warm, putrid shit forced down people's throats. Thank you. James Coley! I think you're being a bit harsh there on conservatives, James Coley. I think you're being very harsh. Not all conservatives hate gays. Is it fair to say that all conservatives hate gays? Well, some of them believe they haven't been created yet. Right. <laughs> Dan, I think uh, Malcolm Turnbull's uh, leading the way here by saying that gay marriage is in fact a very conservative thing. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Malcolm Turnbull himself comes out in the next few weeks and says he is in fact in a loving, committed gay relationship with his wife Lucy. <laughs> I think uh, it's not so much to say that uh, conservatives hate gays, but that most gay conservatives probably hate themselves. <laughs> so kind. Uh, now, what other biscuits need to come out of the closet? Ori has done it. Um, I got a scotch finger the other day that I wasn't certain about. I think, I think ice vovos are just way too pink and sparkly, personally. <laughs> yeah, sure. Arrow root. Ah, very good. I think uh, any biscuit that calls itself a cookie. <laughs> I, think, I don't understand. I think the Maxibon is definitely homophobic. <laughs> yeah, so. um, now, what other products should uh, homophobes boycott because they don't know that those products are actually gay? Anyone, anyone involved in upside-down burning cross retail? <laughs> right. I'm going to go ahead and say any homophobe should go ahead and boycott oxygen masks. I think the cal calippos, is it calippos? They come in, you know, like you squeeze them. <laughs> like you squeeze them and it's sort of like just like peeks out at you. And then, is that how it's done? I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, while it's all well and good uh, for a bunch of uh, educated, progressive people, is that what we should call you people? <laughs> El elite, media elite, since you are on community radio, uh, to speak about pro-gay marriage propaganda on community radio. But what do, I beg... And the question, what do the people of King's Cross think 
about gay marriage? What about gay marriage? Gay marriage. Personally, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. I'm not against gays, but gay marriage is fucking a bit too fucked up. How are you going to get a kid up. out of that guys? Yeah, how are you going to get a kid out of guys? Gays have civil unions already, so it's exactly the same rights as gay, or like men and women marriages. Why do they have to have the same as us? Kind of like black people. Well, no, not kind of like black people. Because marriage is traditional, like slavery. Not against slavery, no. Slavery is pretty traditional. It's traditional, but it's wrong. Gay marriage is cool, man, because everyone says God is like, oh, I made marriage and shit, but God did not make marriage. It's a man-made thing, man. I'm fucked, but if two males uh, don't want to get down to business by a dick and ass, this, that, it's up to them. You know what, the world is progressive. You know, 50 years ago, they had no women voting. I'm pretty sure it's a lie. I made that up on the spot. But now, look at, look at them. Women are voting. Women are marrying. Men are marrying. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. He's actually gay, that's why he's a bit sensitive about it. Fuck you in the toilet, it's just that alright? Shut up. Hello and welcome back to Q&A, the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Tonight on the panel, a government minister, an opposition spokesperson, an expert from overseas who has no idea about Australian politics, a comedian who completely misjudged the nature of the show, and someone who used to be relevant ten years ago that we had to book in a hurry because Jeffrey Rush cancelled. Clap now as per convention. Tonight's hot topic has been discussed ad nauseum in the media for the last ten years, which is why we'll talk about it anyway. First, audi audi first audience question. Uh, yes, hello. I'm a, I'm a younger person with a very con conservative haircut and conservative dress sense. And I'm asking a question here just to reflect the values of my uh, parents who sent me to a private school. Smarmy response, then throw to government minister. I'm smiling while adjusting my glasses while trying to shake off that question. Follow-up question that will allow you to state your party line? Oh, party line! Next question to add balance to this lefty free-for-all. I'm going to say something someone else said but pass it off as my own. What they said, but more long-winded and less interesting. Let's move on to another topic. I'm a homophobic person hiding my prejudice under the guise of religion. Yeah, I'm a farmer, and times are tough, eh? This sounds like it's going to be a question, but it's actually just a sentence. I'll take that as a comment. I've got a comment. I'll take that as a comment. What about hearing from an expert we don't really care about? Well, this is a topic I don't know much about. I did spend all day researching it on Wikipedia, so I'll just repeat 46% of my facts from there. I know that last comment was about a certain issue I know nothing about, but it does have some parallels to issues I do know things about. <laughs> and now to the obligatory video question to make it seem like we're embracing technology. Old man confused, not knowing how to use a webcam, exploitatively shoehorned into the show. Uh, I'm trying to find a delicate way to say something about the race of the panellists next to me, which I disapprove of. Well, as someone of that race, I'd like to tell this harrowing story of my childhood. <laughs> as a comedian, I'm going to say something that bursts the tension, but actually just gets a slight chuckle and a moderate round of applause. Because I'm a, an unassuming woman, I make a surprising joke that will get an enormous laugh followed by a round of applause. Yeah, I, I'm a farmer. Times are tough, eh? I'm going to ask a question that's of grave importance, but no one will hear it because it'll take a while for the microphone to get to me. I'm angry. I'm a racist old white guy with a hot young Asian wife. I'll take that as a comment. Unfortunately, we're unable to make any progress, so we'll do this all again next week. We'll leave you with an obscure musician from someplace no one's heard of. Good night. Ladies and gentlemen, Jazz Twemlow! Thank you. Uh, what happens if at close to the speed of light you smash a homophobe and a creationist together? Uh, you find the Republican particle, perhaps. I don't know. But uh, you do definitely get too fewer people who have no interest in scientific progress whatsoever. Should we really be proud of the fact that we potentially figured out how the universe works in the same week that schools in the States began using a textbook that argues creationism is fact and it's evidence for this? The Loch Ness Monster. Game over, science. Uh, 
we can't get too excited about progress uh, while still allowing regress. And it's not just on a large scale, it's on an everyday basis as well. The Australian government wants a carbon tax, which, like it or not, might actually help protect the environment. It's quite progressive. Simultaneously, Julia Gillard doesn't want gay marriage because it's not traditional. Uh, traditional, that's okay, that's good. You want a traditional Australian, that's fine. So, what the fuck are you doing as Prime Minister, woman? Uh, <laughs> How can those two policies coexist? What logic went into that? What demographic is Julie Gillard hoping to attract? The homophobic environmentalist crowd? <laughs> Don't want rising sea levels to put out the flames on that upside-down burning cross? Vote Labour! It's weird. You can't value progress and backward tradition simultaneously. There's no point getting excited about the invention of the car if you're going to fill it up with homeopathic petrol. <laughs> Why is it not moving? Because you filled it up with fuckwit, that's why. <laughs> Tradition comes up too often as a line of argument when we should be using science more often. It comes up a lot with, uh, again, with the gay marriage that Christians, well, two dads, that's against the image of the traditional Christian family. Yes, I'm sure having two dads would be positively frowned upon by Jesus and, and his three dads. <laughs> uh, I can only assume we've got Christians wrong and that they're against gay marriage because it doesn't involve enough dance. Uh, <laughs> the Large Hadron Collider is an incredible feat of technological progress and I'm just worried that all other kinds of technology is going to fall into misuse. You know, think of the internet, the iPhone, Twitter, things that gave us fantastic things like the Arab Spring or Occupy Wall Street. Yet once again with Twitter, that just took a massive di dive and we spoiled it by being stupid. You only have to look at tweets sent from uh, within a kilometre of here uh, to realize that. For example, this was, these were sent uh, within a kilometer of this place. Um, longest chip ever, <laughs> followed by there's a photograph of a, of a big chip. Uh, <laughs> I sell human hair, and uh, Mummy and I are very good at balancing. So, I'm sure the Higgs boson's discovery means a lot to, to these people. Um, finally, we there was a, the cure for HIV seems to be almost around the corner. It was, a, it was talked about a, a few days ago. Again, in our hands, what use would a cure for HIV be when we're so keen on spreading it? Uh, the Pope was recently in Africa and he said, you know, don't use, don't use condoms. They spread AIDS, which I'm pretty sure isn't true. Um, <laughs> and he was immediately backed up by a bishop in Brazil who said, no, the Pope is correct. Uh, condoms are unnatural. I've never seen a little dog slipping on a condom and having sex with another little dog, which, uh, again, I, that, yeah, that is true, I've never seen that <laughs> myself, but then, you know, I've also never seen a little dog building a church and raping the altar puppy. <laughs> uh, to finish, having intelligence is no use if you're too stupid to use it properly. Thanks. <laughs> The LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, was built for £2.6 billion, or about 50 Australian dollars. Um, uh, what other scientific endeavours should £2.6 billion be spent on? Alice, do you... Uh... Oh, uh, I'd like a new iPod. <laughs> good, yeah, very good. James? I would like Google Maps to come with an Ion Cannon button. I just want the Death Star at my control. <laughs> Uh, I'd like a working can opener. I think re rebuilding the t Titanic, surely. Rebuilding the Titanic. I just uh, stumbled on my words there. But the joke was rebuilding the Titanic. <laughs> yes, well, well done. And you win points for Arctic... Uh, now, if you could slow down to the near uh, near speed of light, w to the point of the collision, what do you reckon it would sound like? What do you reckon the the, the Large Hadron Collider... I think like a Rickroll, maybe? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Get out the way, we're going to crash. You go left, I'll go right. Just <laughs> um, Now, obviously the story is now a few weeks old and everyone's moved on to the Shire, which you're missing right now, by the way. Uh, I know, I know. But um, why is the world so interested in this story? Uh, James? It feels like that with any scientific discovery like this, we could get a weapon that could get rid of the Shire. <laughs> Right, that's good. That's good. Irrational fear. We won't stop until we discover the oh my god particle. Your fear is rational. 
Now, since I'm not sure just how beneficial it is for you, our audience, to listen to a bunch of comedians banging on about science, I thought we'd get someone a little more qualified than us. Our guest tonight is a rational, on, on a rational fear, is Australia's number one science communicator. But when it comes to the Reader's Digest polls of most trusted Australians, he is regularly beaten by the Wiggles. Please welcome Dr. Carl. I'm the most trusted thing. I started back in 2007 when I was number seven and they had on the front cover of Reader's Digest, Mel Gibson, when it was okay to have him on the front cover of anything. I think and, he's, still, he's still most and, trusted in some circles. And since then I've sort of bounced my way down to number 17, so you can be pretty sure that by the end of when I'm talking, I'll be less trustworthy than right now. I, th I think coming on a rational fear helps that. <laughs> Well, we wanted to get you on just to talk about Higgs boson, if that's oh, right. I can do, uh, it's taken me five years, but I can do two 60-second explanations. Okay, great. One, one what it is, and the other one what you can do with it. Great. Okay, you remember atoms? They've got a central core with electrons going around them? I, 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 from I high school? Can you dumb it down a little bit? Because uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not very smart. But you remember you know, atoms? Yeah, yeah. Atoms like Adams and Eve. No, uh, no, 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 different. Okay, so they've got uh, electrons going around them. Yep, sure. Right. The electrons inherently have no mass. Right. The central core of the atom um, is made of protons and neutrons. They're made of quarks. Inherently, they have no mass. What you have is particles that have no mass and no size, and that are separated by vacuum. And the big question is, but I've got mass. Everything's got mass. How come? And the answer is, the Higgs boson which popped into existence one-tenth of a billionth of a second after the Big Bang. And it gives everything mass. We don't know why some particles are more massive than others, but we proved this week that that's where mass comes from. So that's the first 60 seconds. When you say it, it came into the, uh, existence after the Big Bang, it, it, the, the Large Hadron Collider, they just did it last week. A couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they, they, ago. They, they proved that mass exists because of the Higgs field. Now, I'm going to do a slightly go off to the side. Okay, good, yeah. Okay, light. Light, uh, there's a light bulb up there. Yep. The light bulb emits light as a photon. It travels through space as a wave, lands on you, turns back into a particle. In the same way, the Higgs field permeates the entire universe, and when any matter interacts with it, you get a Higgs boson exchange. That's a particle. So the Higgs boson is a particle that's exchanged whenever the Higgs field does something to matter. Is that kind of like a needle exchange at the Wayside Chapel around the corner? Is that <laughs> Like on the aeroplane with the yeah, diabetics, all right. <laughs> okay, now the use of it. Okay, so you're happy that's where, the, that's where mass comes from? I still don't understand, but uh, I, I guess so. Okay, the use of it, right? Imagine that you're an intelligent farmhand a couple of hundred years ago. And you go to the coast, and there's this thing called a ship. You heard about them. Yep. And on the ship, there's a compass, which is basically a rod of metallic sort of rock glued to a cork floating in water. And they say, hey, you farmhand, go, go, go twist the cork. So you twist the cork and blow me down. It keeps on lining itself up with north. You think, what the heck's going on here? That's because of the Earth's magnetic field, which is invisible. Two centuries ago, Michael Faraday got two invisible things and made something that was visible. He got the magnetic field, which is invisible. He got electricity, which is invisible. And he invented the electric motor. Within a century, we will be using some sort of toy based on the Higgs field. But we just don't know what yet. Well, Einstein, in 1905, did he come up with the theory of relativity because in a century from then, people would be too lazy to use a street directory and have to rely on GPS? No, he came up with the, uh, you know, his theory of relativity and accidentally people came up with the GPS so that on a Saturday night, slightly inebriated people could navigate their way to a pizza bar to get their helping handful of saturated fats. So what, without Albert Einstein, we, we would have, have, no, we'd have no problems in King's Cross? Is that what it is? <laughs> well, no, no pizza. Or a guy called John O'Sullivan. He was a scientist, an Australian scientist in 1972, who's trying to find mini black holes, little tiny ones, smaller than atoms, but weighing as much as Mount Everest. Stephen Hawking said to everybody, look, they should exist, and if they do exist, they'll evaporate and they'll give off a radio signal. But they're way out in the universe, you know, in this galaxy or another galaxy far, far away. And by the time the radio signal gets to us, It'll be really weak and distorted. So uh, John O'Sullivan said, uh, I'll invent some special mathematics to try and find these evaporating black holes. He never, he did invent the mathematics, never found the black holes, but his mathematics gives us Wi-Fi, 
When he invented that mathematics, there was no World Wide Web. There were no laptop computers. And yet, because of his scribblings on a bit of paper, Australia's got $400 million in royalties so far and has got to get another $600 million. So the Higgs boson is going to give us something. We just don't know what it is. Yeah. We've got no idea. Yeah. So when, 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 do we, when will we know? Um, when it's available in a toy near you and it's really sexy and you want one. <laughs> so this is like Apple uh, creating the ecosystem for the App Store so that other people can just buy, make apps, right? Uh, ish, ish. I'll give, you, I'll give you one use. I'll give you one use. Okay, colonise a colony of Mars, right? You can't colonise Mars because uh, you want to send stuff to Mars. It's got mass. Prices are really expensive there too. Right. Very expensive. Everything. Suppose you make your colony ship the size of, say, a super tanker, a quarter of a million tons, and it's only got mass because of the Higgs field. Someone, suppose somebody works out how to switch off the Higgs field, then you can move it at the speed of light to Mars, twenty minutes instead of a year and a half. That's incredible. Well, all you've got to do is invent it. There's yeah, a couple right. of Nobel Prizes along the way. All right, guys, podcast over. We are going to get to work. Boffins, quickly work this out. Carl, that, now, now I think that what you just said there for me is, is the first kind of light bulb moment where I'm like, oh, right, I kind of understand what this means. Like, how, when you do, you're, you do science communication for a living, when did you start doing this? And, like, how did you realise that, oh, you know what I want to do? I want to... I want to communicate what the nerds are doing to the everyday people. Um, when I started working on my anti-gravity machine and I couldn't <laughs> explain it to people. So now, now the Higgs boson's been cracked, would you have now time to go about finishing your anti-gravity machine? Um, we worked on the Mark One and it didn't work and we started going on the Mark Two, and uh, then my colleague... Um, electrocuted himself. This is a bummer. Right. Can't go any further. Right. But the point is, uh, we didn't get that to work. So then I started explaining stuff back on Triple J. No, it was double. It was back when it was a single J. It was just one guy in the backyard <laughs> shouting really loudly without radio. That's what radio was back then. <laughs> That's right. And then someone invented radio, which allowed someone to do it to everybody. <laughs> now, before you, now, before you kind of got into, um, into science communication, I've, I've come across this article that says that you're into movies. You used to make I movies. made the first mu music videos in Australia. Really? Who did you make music videos for? A uh, band called Buffalo, which then turned into that elevator music band, Air Supply. <laughs> Never heard of Air Supply? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also I helped set up the first uh, cable TV network in Australia with a bunch of other drug-crazed hippies up at Nimbin. Oh, oh. <laughs> Cartel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, basically, we just had about uh, two kilometres of video cable and we just laid that all over the place. We just set up a cable TV network. <laughs> and you know, Link, what, what was on this cable TV network? <laughs> Doing what? Um, well, we, a bit of midnight madness and too much fun and pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got, a, I've got an article here from, I think, a Wollongong local newspaper. Is this... Uh, that's, the, that's the Sunday Telegraph. That's the Sun, my mistake. Mate, Sunday class, Telegraph. Look at this guy. He looks like Charles Manson <laughs> on the, in, this, in the corner here. Let me read this out. Uh, oh, Let's see if you, could, if you could hear yourself in this. Movies are my scene, man. Not science, nor lecturing, nor capitalisation. I got it wrong, all right? <laughs> but the happiness in making movies that, that pleases me. My first movie is the story of a chess set. I know it may, it may seem a bit kinky, but it's only a short film about five minutes. <laughs> it was short. Did you enter that into Tropfest? <laughs> that was before Tropfest. <laughs> um, for my next film, I seem to use... Uh, I need the use of an airstrip. Nobody seems to have one they can lend me. So if you can help, I would be obliged. <laughs> Did you find an airstrip? Uh, no, I failed on that one as well. I've had many failures, but if you don't make a mistake, you don't make anything. Well, what's your favourite failure? Um, my favourite failure? Wow. Um, failing to have children, so now I've got three of them, one of each sex. <laughs> but have you learnt, have you learnt to... Have you learnt from... Obviously, you've learnt from a few mistakes. There's a whole ethos behind um, you know, failing fast... Is yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you should make the science. same mistake more than once. Right. Uh, if you do, you're just a slow learner. <laughs> right. Uh, what else is good about making mistakes? Um, you get to have a lot of fun along the way. And I, I, actually, this place here, King's Cross, used to be my stamping ground. On one occasion, I remember uh, being up in... The, I was a taxi driver, and I was up in the cross, and it was a Tuesday night, 
And uh, Tuesday nights in winter are really cold. You don't make any money as a taxi driver. And the queue was about a kilometre long, and I was right at the end of it, and it was winter. And uh, my next memory was driving on Canterbury Road. And I had no memory in between. <laughs> and we'd worked out a, uh, an idea, you know, the other taxi drivers and myself. And the trick was, you say, uh, where exactly do you want to go to, mate? What's the name of the street? Uh, as opposed to, have I been asleep for the last hour? I've got no idea. Have I been driving dangerously? And then you sort of keep driving, and then if the passenger doesn't complain, you assume that they're either terrified or that you've been driving safely. So that, that introduced me to the idea of falling asleep and driving dangerously. As a taxi driver, I actually would stop occasionally and wait for a bush to get into the car. For a t- I would stop. I would stop at a red... Like Jed or JW? Like uh, GW? Which at the side of the road. Well, on one occasion I waited for a, telegra- for a post box to get into the car. I was so tired. It's terrible. But it's a hard life being a taxi driver. Um, and uh, on one occasion I smashed up six cars in one night. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> Why? Well, how did that happen? Well, there was a new hamburger place and I just stopped out the front to order the hamburger and uh, I ordered the 50 cents each, so really cheap. And then um, I turned around uh, and then I noticed that my car was gone. So I thought, oh God, somebody stole my taxi. So I went out in the parking lot because there were a couple of cops there. I could recognise them because they had a three rego on their registration sticker and they were each having jumbo burgers, chomp, chomp, one per hand. And I said, "Uh, look, somebody stole my car. Can you um, put out a signal? They said, why do you, why, what makes you think we're cops? I said, of course you're cops. You've got a radio down there and you've got a three rego. You know, you put it out. And they said, oh, we don't want to do that. And then suddenly this guy came running out of the fog saying, oh, come quick, there's been this terrible accident. The car has gone out of control of taxi and it's smashed into all these cars. Well, the first thing I heard was the cops going, because they took off really quickly because they didn't want to do all the paperwork. <laughs> and by the time I got down near the bottom of the road, mate, there, there were cars everywhere. And then when I turned up the next day at the taxi base uh, to try and get my taxi, the boss said, here comes Nicky, he couldn't pronounce my full name, and he smashed up six cars last night, and he thinks he's, got a, he's going to get a taxi off me tonight. Well, eventually I did. <laughs> now, Carl, before you go, uh, we've, got, we've got ten quick questions. Lay them on me. And if you can hit, hit them as fast as you can. Gotcha. So, let's go. Question number one. Do deaf schizophrenics hear voices? Yes. <laughs> they smell them and they taste them. If a werewolf bit a radioactive spider, what would happen? Uh, a sleepless spider? <laughs> Aside from now, when is time? Uh, it happens at the rate of one second per second. <laughs> if a tree falls in the forest and someone's there, but they're deaf or not paying attention or listening to an iPod, it doesn't make a sound. Only if Bishop Berkeley was there first. <laughs> when you finish science, what will you do next? Um, swim to New Zealand. <laughs> How many dinosaurs know? <laughs> Dinosaurs are not dead, they're birds, they just sound funny uh, We know where babies come from, but where do they go? Uh, everything gets recycled <laughs> What came before the Big Bang Theory? Uh, you don't know, but you can tell by seeing which one's smoking a cigarette <laughs> uh, uh, Do people ever mistake you for Karl Stefanovic? Uh, no, but that guy, the comedian guy, Burns, James Bourne, Bourne? No, no. Shane Bourne. Yeah, him, him. Yeah, he actually uh, sat on a plane and convinced somebody it was me, uh, and then they ran into me a couple of weeks later and said, fuck, you're stupid. <laughs> Why don't you know how to dress yourself like a proper scientist? <laughs> uh, I've got a staff of people who dress me. <laughs> Very good. What's the best prejudice to have? Uh, against stupidity. <laughs> and why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? Because it's one enchanted evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Before we go, we want to leave you with what you should be scared about next week. Here is Dylan Bain with the Fearsome Fears. That's right, Dan. A lot of things to be scared of next month. The Ecuadorian embassy in London is going to become more dangerous for women as Fred Willard, Andrew Muirhead and Ricky Nixon join Julian Assange. Uh, follow it to capitalise on the <coughs> to capitalise on the success of Fifty Shades of Grey, having sold 1.2 million copies in Australia. Other book publishers will start publishing sci-fi, fantasy, fan fiction. Expect the following titles: Ewok Orgy, E.T. Phone Homo, Alf in My Pants, 
and a new illustrated Kama Sutra featuring Optimus Prime and Voltron. And finally, the biggest fear, that irrational fear, disappears off the map and never comes back after the disastrous final episode that Dan handed over to his writers to present. James Colley, Mark Humphreys, Dylan Bain, special guests to our uh, special thanks to our guests, Michael Chamberlain, <laughs> Dr. Carl Kuzunowski, shout outs to the boss of FBI, Kimberly Soja, Kimberly Gasserin, and our boss, Caroline Gates. Follow us at FBI on social media. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.